I'm going to put this image up. How many of you recognize that image? Just raise your hand. How many of you think that this is a uh, pound sign? Raise your hand. How many of you think this is a number sign? Raise your hand. You're wrong. What is this? It's a hashtag. Okay. So if I were to ask you what a hashtag is, I suppose some of you would say, I have no idea. But uh, the rest of us would say that a hashtag is where we really want to emphasize something. We want to, we want to come back and revisit it over and over and over again. So let's say, for instance, that our young people here, as they go to CYC uh, this coming, it's this weekend, right? As they go to the CYC this coming weekend, they're probably going to take pictures and, and uh, have memories, and they're going to post them on social media, and they may very well put something like this. Hashtag CYC2020. And every single time someone clicks on that hashtag CYC2020, it will show just a plethora of memories that they have uh, developed, that they've come up with over the weekend. And so anytime they click on that through the year, they can go and scroll through all of their pictures and just be reminded of the great weekend that they, that they have had. I want to use hashtag this morning as we think about the idea of God. Hashtag God. What are some thi- if, we were to, if we were to click on that, hashtag God, what are some things that we could come up with? What are some images, if we were just to paint some word pictures, what are some images that we would have before us? What are some things that we would want to impress upon our hearts with respect to God? I think one of the things for me is that God is. That he is. We've talked about John 1 recently. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You think about the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth. God is. In Daniel chapter 2, in verse number 28, it says, But there is a God in heaven. Now I want you to turn to this passage with me. And, and while you're turning there, I'll just give you a little bit of the background. Of course, this is during the time of the Babylonian captivity. And Daniel is, the, is, a, is a prophet. And... Um, there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was having some dreams, and he was, he was becoming very concerned about some of the things that he was seeing in those dreams. And as he was reflecting on those dreams, he was, he was frustrated over the fact that he couldn't figure out what was the meaning of the dreams. And so you know what, you know what would happen? He would call for people to come and interpret the dreams. And, and he would reach out to the Babylonians, and he would reach out to the Chaldeans, and, and, uh, and they would come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they'd say, well, well, tell us about the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar would say, I shouldn't have to tell you about the dream. I mean, the whole point of this thing is for you to tell me what it was that I was dreaming, and then give me the interpretation of the dream. And of course, that's not what was happening. And so in Daniel chapter 2, in verse number 26, it says, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? See, Daniel was going to be different. And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? 
Can't they do this? But there is a God, verse 28, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he goes on to make explanation of the dream. Now I'm just mentioning Daniel 2 verse 28 to make the point that Daniel was recognizing the fact that there is a God. And God is because he is that he is. I want you to look in, um, in Habakkuk. I think that's the next one. Habakkuk chapter 2. Now in Habakkuk, uh, this little book that we don't spend a lot of time in, it talks about the fact that God can use a less holy nation to bring to the knees a more holy nation. In this case, God's people. Habakkuk is, t- is, is, is showing us that God can use folks that are unrighteous to bring to repentance and in some cases to the demise God's people when they fail to repent. And so in Habakkuk chapter 2, it says in verse number 18, And what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it, the molten image and a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb or mute idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb or the mute stone. Arise, it shall teach. Now when was the last time you were walking through the woods and you started to hear a voice and it was a rock? And that rock started talking to you. When's the last time? Anybody want to admit to that? You're in psychosis, I must say. Uh, or maybe it was, it was a stick, and that stick started to talk to you. It hasn't happened to you, of course. And yet, what, um, what Habakkuk is talking about here is the ludicrous. This stuff doesn't happen. Verse 19, again. Woe unto that person that speaks to the wood, that speaks to the stone. Arise and teach Wake up. Behold, it's laid over with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it at all. Well, duh. Verse 20. But, contrast, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his holy, his unique, his separate, his different temple. And therefore, let all the world keep silence before him. Because he is. What we're reading about here in Habakkuk 2 and verse 20 is the absolute transcendence of a God who is in control of his creation. And we can't forget that. We're living in a world in which man tries to take control. He never will. We live in a world in which nation tries to rise up against nation and be the lead and and take control. It may not last. But yet there is someone who always will because he is that he is. And that's Jehovah God. Hashtag God. What else do I want to know about God? Second of all, I want us to observe that God rules. God rules. 
Daniel chapter 4 and verse 19, the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Donald Trump's not the ruler of the universe. Barack Obama was not the ruler of the universe. George W. Bush was not the ruler of the universe. Nor any other leader of any other country around the world has ever been the ruler of the universe. And it doesn't matter your, your political party affiliation. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter your, your pedigree. It doesn't matter. God rules. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. What matters is that God rules. God rules in the kingdoms of men. In Proverbs 14 and verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I love the United States. I love America. I've been all around the world. I've preached on six continents. I've experienced all kinds of different cultures. And none of them, in my view, compare to our home. I love the U.S. I think patriotism is a wonderful thing. But we have to be very careful to put patriot, patriotism before God. I think we get so caught up and wrapped up in the political scene in policy, in laws that are being put before us to pass or perhaps not pass, and we get so wrapped up and tied up in, the, in all of this drama that we forget that God is in control. And it doesn't matter what party occupies the House or the Senate or the White House. God is in control. And we have to let go of all of that stuff and not be Democrats and Republicans and Independents and whatever other thing there might be out there and just be Christian. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. God is in control. God. God is. God is in control. But number three, God is merciful. I believe in the dictionary, um, it's, if I remember right, it's been a while since I've looked this up, but you've got the word merciful and merciless right next to one another. One of these days, I'm going to stand before the judgment bar of Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all stand before the judgment bar of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And I suspect we're similar, and we've done some of the good, and we've done some of the bad. And when we stand before him, I don't want to stand before a merciless judge, but I want to stand before a merciful judge, because I know I don't deserve it. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve kindness. You know what I deserve? I deserve the same thing you deserve. And that's death. That's what we deserve. But praise be to God that He put Jesus on the cross 
so that we could experience hope, mercy. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I want you to look at that formula. Look at that Holy Spirit formula. If my people who are called by my name will, number one, humble themselves, number two, pray, number three, seek God's face, number four, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That is a Holy Spirit prescription for the healing of a country, for the healing of a society, for the healing of a church, for the healing of an individual. Isn't it? When we fall out of step with God, when we fall out of state with the, with the dictates, the will of God, we've got to humble ourselves and say, God, I messed up. I made a mistake. I made a mistake with myself. Church, we've made a mistake. Countrymen, we've made a mistake. We've got to humble ourselves and say, I messed up. And then we've got to pray. We've got to talk to God. Politicians aren't going to fix our land. God will. God can. Pray. Seek His face. Turn away from wicked toward righteous. And then we'll hear from heaven. Forgiveness will take place. And God will heal the land. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And let the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. And to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. God is. God is in control. And God is merciful. Hashtag God. God is present. God is present. Just a little time out here. You can't put an apostrophe S in your hashtag. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't work. God's present. He's present. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to notice something here. It says, let your conduct. That's the King James Version. No, it's not. I think that's the New King James Version. But it's your manner of life. Let your manner of life be without covetousness. What is, what is covetousness? How would you define covetousness? You say, well, Neil, I would define covetousness this way. It is an inordinate desire for another man's affections. I know that's how we've always defined it because that's what this, this, this dictionary has called it. But that's not what the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit defines covetousness a little bit differently. You see, we define covetousness as a strong desire for what somebody else has. And we think, man, I, I really want what they have, and I'm going to do anything I can, do, I can to get what they have. That's covetousness. That's what we've said. 
But that's not what the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Covetousness is the idea of having a strong desire for your own stuff. And it becomes your priority. Isn't that interesting? That's what he says. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a powerful thought. Does God ever leave us? Does he? The good book just said he doesn't. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. But do we leave God? Yeah. That's the problem. The problem is not that God leaves us. The problem is is that we leave him. We turn our back on him. Now, does God turn his back on our sin? Of course. But us? No. He's always present. Hebrews 6 and verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Did he mean it? Absolutely. Because he can't lie. How does that make you feel? Me too. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is always with us. You know what the, the award-winning definition of a friend is? Someone who comes in when the rest of the world goes out. That's what a friend is. Well, who's God? He's our friend. And He's always present. Look at Romans chapter 8. We camped out here just a bit in our Bible class this morning. I want you to notice what life is like sometimes for us. Check this out. Verse 18. Sometimes we're going to suffer. We're going to deal with calamity. Stuff from the outside. Sometimes we're going to have to deal with frailty. Verse number 20. Maybe it's a broken bone. Maybe it's the loss of sight. Maybe it's the inability to hear. Maybe it's disease. We have to deal with, cal- with frailty and calamity. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Sometimes we have to deal with destruction. Maybe destruction of our own body. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth, moan together, and travaileth in pain together until now. Sometimes we're going to deal with with junk from the outside affecting us, hurting us, harming us. And sometimes it's from within. Look at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, 
or sword. Sometimes we're going to be mistreated by other people. Look at verse 36. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, in all these things, all this stuff, calamity and frailty and destruction and folks mistreating us, all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm persuaded that death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present or things to come, none of that stuff, nor height or depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is that saying? There's nothing that can separate us from the presence of God. God's with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Take it to the bank. It doesn't matter if there's, if there's junk going on at your job. God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It doesn't matter if there is a mess in your home. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter if there's a mess in your school. I'll never leave you or forsake you. It doesn't matter if there's stuff going on in your own mind. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Life is tough. Relationships are hard. Work is a challenge. But God's present. That's powerful to me. When the rest of the world goes out, God comes in. Isn't that good? Hashtag God. When you think of God, what is impressed upon your heart? The fact that He is because He is, that He is. The fact that He is, we could add to this, the fact that He's all-powerful, that He's omniscient, that He's omnibenevolent, He's always caring. What is it about God that just really impresses you? Is it His mercy that endures forever? Is it His grace? Is it His forgiveness? What is it about God that really motivates and challenges you and perhaps even changes your life? What is it about God? Is it His abiding presence? I suppose that if we clicked on hashtag God, we would see all kinds of images. All kinds of images. There are things that come to your mind. There are things that come to my mind. There are things about Him that just make us who we are. Maybe you're sitting here tonight, however, and we click on hashtag God in your heart. And maybe we see some emptiness. Because God has not been priority to you. For you, God is this abstract concept. Maybe it's not that you're an atheist that is not believing in God, but maybe you're what I call a practical atheist. 
In other words, an individual who believes in God but doesn't act like there is a God. And so for you, perhaps hashtag God doesn't mean much. But he needs to. You need to make some changes, some corrections, modifications. God needs to take a priority in your life again. Maybe he's never meant anything to you until recently. And maybe you're ready to commit. Maybe you're ready to to say, hashtag God. I want Him to be the Lord of my life. I want the blood of His Son to cleanse me of my sins. I'm ready to be baptized to have all of those things washed away. Hashtag God. Does God own your heart? If not... Make that change right now. Together we stand and as we sing.